Grace and peace be with you. If you have your Bible handy, keep it open to Zechariah 3. And if you don't have a Bible with you, if you didn't bring one, there's one in the pew in front of you. Uh, open it up so you can follow along as we make our way through this passage today. The story that we just heard took place around the same time that Ezra was called to rebuild the temple. And it was also taking place around the time that Nehemiah was called to rebuild the wall. And you remember those guys from the series we just did on Ezra and Nehemiah. Well, Zechariah the prophet was preaching in those days, and this is a vision that God showed him. And if you listen carefully to the vision and use your imagination, you'll see that it paints quite a picture. On one hand, we see Joshua the high priest stay in court. On the other hand, we see ourselves in this story, and it's not too hard to imagine our day in court. The scriptures warn us that each and every one of us will, in fact, have our day in the divine courtroom. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And why, we might ask, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the mere thought of being summoned to appear before the divine judge in his courtroom is a truly sobering thought. How much more knowing that you will appear in that court to give an account of your own thoughts, words, and deeds. And that you will only give an account for yourself and for no one else. You will not give an account for your spouse. You will not give an account for your parents. You will not give an account for your children. You will not give an account for your neighbors or strangers, but for you and for you alone. The question I wonder is, do you really want to give an account for your whole life? Do you really want to give an account for every lustful fantasy? For every outburst of rage, for every ungrateful complaint, for every selfish motive, for arrogant ambition, for white lies, for all the drinks you've been sneaking? Do you want to give an account for dissatisfied greed, for the ingratitude of your heart? Do you want to give an account for your whole life, for every jot and tittle of your life? Well, that day is coming for each and every one of us. And this vision helps us to imagine the scene. Like Joshua, the high priest, you stand before the Lord and Satan is at your right hand, ready to accuse you. Like a prosecutor, he's ready to present evidence against you to prove your guilt. He's not for you, but against you. And he wants the Lord to declare you guilty so that you will be cast out of heaven and into hell. What will you say to defend yourself on that day? What are some of the reasons you will give for your actions? What are the excuses you will make? How will you plead and where will you look for help? And who will speak a good word on your behalf? 
thinking about having the interior of your life turned outward for all to see is a sobering image. It sends chills down our spines. It stirs nausea in our guts. There's not a man, woman, or child in this room that wants that to happen, not even for a second. In this story, Joshua the high priest was summoned to appear before the Lord to receive what was due him for the things he had done in his body, whether good or evil. And to give you some context to understand what a high priest was like, you need to, uh, let me paint a picture for you from the Old Testament. In Israel, the high priest was a mediator between God and his people. And every high priest was chosen by God from among the people. God did not choose the best man. He did not choose the, the purest man. He did not choose the super spiritual man. God chose a man from among his people that was like the people around him. He chose a man who could relate to and identify with the people, a man that struggled with his own weaknesses, a man that knew what it was like to be a human being. And the reason God did this is so that the high priest could relate to his people and deal gently with them, especially those who were ignorant or wayward. And because of this identification with his own people, God required the high priest to offer sacrifices, not only for the sins of the people, but also for his own sins. So Joshua, the high priest, was called to do all of that. And more than that, the high priest was also required to wear special clothing when he was on duty and serving the Lord in his presence. The scriptures tell us that these clothes were given for glory and beauty and that they even had an inscription that said, holy to the Lord. All of this was intended to create an impression for the people of God that when they saw their high priest appear... They were to see their representative, their champion, the one who was going to appear before God on their behalf, and they would see him going into the presence of God with beauty and glory. A holy man who represented them before God, and they pinned all their hopes on him. The high priest was the only man in that Old Testament system who was able to draw near to God and go inside the temple into the deepest and most holy part of that temple. And he couldn't go at just any time he wanted. He could go once a year at the invitation of God. And he would go into that holy place, draw near to God, go behind the veil, and he would put blood on the mercy seat and burn incense. The incense represented the prayers of the people and the blood represented the sacrifices that they hoped and prayed would turn away God's wrath and remove their sin. If the priest discharged all the duties of his ministry as God required, God would accept the prayers and the offerings that he made on behalf of the people and then God would forgive all the sins of his people for one more year. 
And so all that to say, in this scene, in this vision, Joshua the high priest appears before the Lord clothed in his sacred vestments, and he is standing in the most holy place. This is one of the places in the Bible that gives us a glimpse behind the scenes, so to speak, to show us from the Spirit's point of view what took place when the high priest stood before the Lord God. This past week, I read several articles about how to dress if you ever need to appear before a judge in a courtroom. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but just in case, Cindy, if you need to hear it, don't wear flip-flops and don't wear holy and baggy jeans. Don't wear t-shirts. Don't wear sexy dresses, heavy makeup, or flashy jewelry. When... Or if you ever appear before a judge, dress conservatively in plain, dark-colored clothes. Why? Because apparently appearance matters both to judges and to juries. And in this story, we see the same thing. We are masters at keeping up appearances, putting on a show, wearing masks. And we're able to fool each other for a little while by keeping up appearances, but it only lasts for a little while. Eventually, someone sees the truth about us. In this case, God sees right through the priest's sacred vestments. He sees right past the beauty and the glory of the garments, and he sees the truth of the man who represents the people. We judge by what we see, but the Lord looks on the heart. And when the Lord looks on the heart of Joshua, the high priest, he sees a filthy and dirty man. And when he sees a filthy and dirty man, he also sees a filthy and dirty people that the man represents. To give you a graphic image here of what we're talking about, we don't mean that the high priest stumbled before going into the the temple and got a little dirt on his garments. We don't mean that a little bit of ash from the the sacrifice or the, the altar got onto his garments. No, what we mean here, according to the Hebrew, is that excrement was found on his garments. Human waste would be like someone took a dirty diaper and smeared it on his vestments. So he is appearing before the Lord Stained and stinky. We confessed earlier in the service that even our best works and deeds are but filthy rags. I hope we meant it when we confessed it. And if we didn't mean it then, I hope we come to mean it as we go forward and realize that even our best efforts fall short of the glory of God. Even the best we can conjure and muster up fall short of God's standards and requirements and that we need grace. Joshua stands before the Lord and he feels the guilt and the shame of his own life. He can't hide these stains. He can't hide the stench. Who knows how he lived in exile? Who knows what he's done in secret when no one was looking? Who knows the thoughts and words and deeds of his own heart? 
who knows all of the different ways he has broken God's law or only partially kept them or sort of obeyed them, who knows how he has stained his own life? And you know the answer to all those questions, don't you? You know that God knows. And you know that Satan knows. And Satan is ready to accuse him and to get him cast out of heaven and into hell. You can just imagine Satan rubbing his hands and licking his lips. I mean, he can't wait. He's fired up and he's ready to make a case against the high priest. And based on what we have all seen and heard so far, it appears to be an open and shut case. This is the easiest case he's ever had to prosecute. But the reason he's so eager to prosecute this priest is because if the high priest is guilty, then he must be condemned. And if he is guilty and condemned, then all of the people he represents must be guilty and condemned. And if the priest and the people are guilty and condemned, that means they will all perish and be separated from God forever. Their sins will not be removed or forgiven. And their sins will keep them separated from God. But the vision shows clearly that the high priest is guilty. So what are we arguing about? What are we waiting for? Before Satan can even open his mouth to make a case against Joshua, something very curious happens, doesn't it? The Lord looks to Satan and rebukes him. Silence! Keep your forked tongue behind your crooked teeth. Why? Because Joshua is a bent stick plucked from the flames. He's a crooked and a charred sinner who has been delivered from judgment by the grace and mercy of God. It reminds us of the thief on the cross who was snatched from perdition and seated in paradise at the last minute because of the tender mercy of the Lord Jesus. He was a man who was moments away from waking up in hell, but instead he woke up in heaven in the arms of Christ. So yes, the priest is soiled, and yes, he is singed, and he smells like smoke and worse. But he's safe and he's secure in the salvation of God. And you know what that means? It means that his people are safe and secure as well. Why is all this? Well, it's right there in the text. It's because he and they were chosen by grace. They were chosen by grace. So unlike Satan, the Lord shows mercy to sinners he saves them by snatching them out of the fire. And we see in all of this that on one hand, the Lord hates sin. He hates what it does to people. He hates what it does to the relationship between his people and himself. But on the other hand, he loves sinners. He loves Joshua. And the Lord is able to separate the two. And we know that because he does not leave Joshua in the guilt and shame of his filthy life, does he? 
You see it clearly when he takes away the filthy vestments and trades them for clean ones. And in that imagery alone, we see that Joshua's old, stinky life is stripped away from him and that he is given a new and fragrant life strapped onto him. And so like Adam, after he stole the forbidden fruit in the Garden of Eden, Joshua was naked and ashamed for a moment, but he was clothed and comforted by God for all eternity. This divine act of taking off and putting on is a sign and seal of God's transformative grace. Now, this is something that many of you have experienced in your own heart and your own life. Think about it. Like Joshua, you were close to flaming out at one time. You were fading away in your sins. But God snatched you from the flames by his gracious hand. You felt the burden of sin on your own conscience. You've been exposed as a fraud and a failure more times than you care to remember. You felt the crippling fear of guilt and shame. And every day of your life felt like some form of judgment. But like Joshua, you have experienced transformative grace. The sacrament of baptism is a sign and a seal of the life-changing grace of God for you and for your children. The Apostle Paul says that as many of you, men, women, and children, as many of you as were baptized into Christ, you have put off the old man of sin and you have put on the new man of the Spirit. You have gotten shed of that life of death and taking on a life of new life in Christ. You're no longer clothed in the grungy rags of prisoners condemned to die, but you are robed in the glorious robes of priests who stand before God to serve and live because you have been clothed in the Lord Jesus Christ. So like Joshua, you have an advocate with the Father. You notice in this story that the Lord moved from standing before Joshua to standing beside Joshua. And it's a very subtle yet significant move. And here's why. Because what it shows us is that the Lord does not stand against Joshua, but he stands with him and for him. And what it also shows us is that the accuser has not only been silenced, but he has been sent away. And the Lord stands with Joshua. He has someone to plead his case, someone to defend him against all accusers, someone who takes the blame and covers the shame and removes the stain. And what this means for Joshua and Israel is that their sins have been taken away and removed as far as the east is from the west and that their salvation has been secured for all eternity by the grace and mercy of God. Several years ago, I was called up for jury duty, so I went to Dallas, as we all do. And I sat through the long meeting, and I made it through the first cut. And I was sent up to the fifth or sixth floor. 
in a, long, in a large waiting room with a bunch of other potential jurors waiting for the next cut, waiting to see where we would be assigned and into which court we would appear. And I was sitting in one of those windows at the, at the end of the hallway, had that beautiful uh, view out of the backside of the courtroom where you can see vents and machinery and uh, a few pigeons. Trying to read a book when a couple of men walked up beside me to my left, and one of the men said to the other as I began to listen to them, one man said to the other, Look, before you go in and stand before the judge, you got to get your story straight. You know what you did, I know what you did, you got to get your story straight. I thought that was great advice. Especially when I was called into the courtroom and that defendant came in and the judge said, does anyone in this room know or have any contact with that man? And I raised my hand and 40 people looked at me like, how in the world? (laughs) And I was dismissed that day because I had inside information about that man's guilt. The story we just heard is a story that helps us get our story straight. Yes, it's a story about Joshua, the high priest. And yes, it's a story about you and me and how we will appear before God in judgment. But at its truest and deepest level, it is a story about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look again and you will see that he is hiding there in plain sight. In this prophetic vision, the Holy Spirit gives us a sneak peek, a behind-the-scenes look at the priestly ministry of Jesus, our Savior. The vision shows us that when Jesus, our high priest, took our sins upon himself and carried them to the cross and suffered the death of a sinner in our place and for our sake, He then went and appeared before God behind the veil in the holiest place. And when he did this, his sacred priestly vestments of beauty and glory were stained with our filthy and dirty sins. How can this be? How can the one who never sinned be stained with sin? How can Jesus be stained with guilt and shame when he never sinned? And what happens if Jesus is charged with sin and condemned to die and cast out of heaven forever? How can we have any hope of forgiveness? How can we have any hope of standing before God and being reconciled to him? If Jesus is cast away, won't we all be cast away? And how can God... Take away the guilt and the shame that Jesus bore without cheating his own character or codes. Well, the mystery of the gospel is revealed in this vision. And again, it's right there in plain sight. Notice how the Lord said to our Lord, Behold, I have taken away your sin from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. We know that the mystery of the gospel is revealed here because of the way the apostles preached. 
The Apostle Peter says, Christ suffered once for all the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And the Apostle Peter said, the Apostle Paul said that God made him who did not know sin by personal experience to be sin for us in our place and for our sake so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And the Spirit unveils the mission and the mystery of Jesus, our high priest, throughout the book of Hebrews. But I'll give you just two examples of why Jesus came and became a priest. The Spirit says the reason Jesus became man and shared in our flesh and blood nature was so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. Why? In order to take away all our sins and make things right between us and God. Jesus became our high priest so that through his death he might do two things. On the one hand, destroy the devil who held the power of death. And on the other hand, deliver those who all their life were held in slavery by their fear of death. So Jesus, our high priest, has come to destroy the devil and to deliver his people. And we see this in the story of Jesus as he carried our sins to the cross and died the death of a sinner in order to deliver sinners from death and to comfort us with his life. We see in the story of Jesus that he was naked for a moment so that we might be clothed for all eternity. We see that he bore shame to take away our shame. And we see the great exchange as Jesus laid down his life to consume our death. He took upon our sins to give us his righteousness. Well, like I said at the beginning, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Why? So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And if you have any kind of a tender conscience or sensitive heart, you know that this sends chills down your spine and shakes you up in a variety of ways. So before you're summoned to appear before the judge of the living and the dead, let me give you some pastoral counsel. You've got to get your story straight. You know what you did. And God know what, knows what you did. And I know what I've done. But you've got to get your story straight. What are you going to do to defend yourself? Where are you going to look for help? What will your story be on that day? Will your story be like the story of so many who simply say, here's my story and I'm sticking to it. I'm not as bad as some people. And I've tried really hard to do more good than bad. I didn't even know all the rules. I'm pleading ignorance. 
I wanted to do the right thing, but I couldn't always do it. And did I mention that I'm not as bad as some other people? Is that going to be your story? If that is your story, you will receive what you deserve for all your failings, for coming up short, for your treason against God, for your violations of his covenant, for your law-breaking, your sin, for coming up short of his glory. That's one option. Or will your story be this story that has also been told by many? Here's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm guilty of everything. I did it all. No excuses, no reasons. I'm a sinner, and I throw myself upon the mercy of the court. And I cry out to Jesus, my high priest, to help me in my time of need. And I'm looking to him to speak a good word in my defense, to stand by my side and advocate for me. On thy mercies I rely. Give me Christ, or I die. And those who get their story straight will never be put to shame. They will never be cast away. They will simply hear the Lord say again and again, Look, I've taken away your sins. And I've clothed you in the priestly garments of Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one. Because God is the one who declares sinners right with him. And who shall condemn God's people? No one. Because Jesus Christ, our high priest, is the one who died, the one who was raised, the one who is at the right hand of God, the one who is praying for us day and night for all eternity. He ever lives to intercede for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. No one. No one and nothing in all of heaven or on earth or under the earth will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. My friends, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will all have your day in court, but on your day in court, you got to get your story straight. And you get your story straight by putting your trust in Christ alone. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray.